everybody, and welcome to Lit. I am joined today by Abby Livy. Welcome. Hello. Today we are talking about Harry Potter, and not just one Harry Potter, all of the Harry Potters. <laughs> yep, Lit with now 5% more genocide. It's, it's about to get crazy today, folks. I hope you guys are all excited. <laughs> Cody's cracking me up. Bring on the transphobia. It, it, it's it's going to be a big episode because we're not just talking about one Harry Potter. We're not just talking about the book series. We're talking about the cultural impact of Harry Potter. And if there is even any one of you who haven't watched Harry Potter, haven't read Harry Potter, here it is. Here's your spoiler warning. This whole episode is spoilers today. I mean, I don't know how we could get into Harry Potter without doing the spoilers. No. No, it's just not going to happen. Uh, just a quick recap for those of you who may have forgotten, like the barest of barest summaries of Harry Potter. Remember, Harry was orphaned and raised by the abusive Dursley family for about 11 years before this half-giant Rubius Hagrid literally barges into his life to tell him that he's a wizard and the greatest wizard ever known because he defeated he who must not be named aka Lord Voldemort as a baby which is what gives him his characteristic lightning scar and this is basically our introduction to the wizarding world and Hogwarts school of witchcraft and wizardry I know this is a very paltry summary that doesn't really do justice to the tale that encompasses seven novels a play eight movies um like three spinoff video games and an entire theme park. I mean, it's just too much. Um, but the core themes of Harry Potter, I think, are very important for us to talk about because it's become such a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys think in the chat? Have you guys watched Harry Potter, read Harry Potter? Looks like... Cody, I haven't read or watched Harry Potter. That rock may come in handy as a bomb shelter soon. I mean, fair. So, Abby, what was your take on Harry Potter? Did you read it growing up? Did you come into it later? Like, what was your history with it? I was not allowed to read it growing up. My parents were in a similar position of a lot of Christian parents, I think, where a lot of Christian leaders were saying, no, no, this is evil and bad. And they didn't have the time to do the research for themselves. A lot of parents don't have time to go read thousands and thousands of pages to research whether this is okay for their children. So my parents took took the word of, of these leaders. Um, so I, I didn't read it or watch it until I turned 18. And when I turned 18, I told myself, you're going to hate me. But I was going to read the first book and the last book and watch the movies because I was going to college <laughs> and I wanted to, I knew I heard her writing had changed a lot mm-hmm. over the course of, you know, that she I mean, grown that's true. An author. So I, I, I did that and experienced the whole story, read those two books. And then, um, after college, I finally got around to reading the rest of them and catching up. And I've watched the movies a couple more times, but I definitely felt sad that, I didn't get to have these stories growing up because there are so many themes I think that are the type that strengthen strengthen kids uh, as they face various things. I've, I've found a lot of stories that I read, different stories gave me courage to face some of the things that I faced. And I just, yeah. when I read Harry Potter, I was like, oh, I could have really used this. 
I think that brings up a really good point, and it brings us to the major themes of Harry Potter. Uh, I mean, he has a rough childhood. Uh, I mean, nobody talks about that. What do we got going on here? To be fair, I watched the first movie and then the last and the ones in between. PJ, get out of here. PJ's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. J.K. Rowling is a great storyteller. I, I agree with that. And again, that goes back to the themes, right? So many books, I feel like, that came out in the 90s and early 2000s dealt with orphan children. Um, that was not unique to J.K. Rowling, but I think the way she went about it uh, was very interesting and sparked a lot of, I guess we'll say copycat books. And a lot of yeah. the times, books that followed always circled around a young person who had been orphan or grew up in an abusive situation and then suddenly discovered they had this brilliant power. And I wonder if that doesn't strike to the heart of someone in a difficult situation, especially when they're young, of wanting so much more for themselves than their situation. Yeah, so much of Harry's story, especially at first, is just being incredibly overlooked, just not, yeah. not, not seen, um, not cared for. Um, just a burden to the people around him. And he, it's almost like he'd rather have a dark secret than have nothing about him at all. Yeah, that that's kind of interesting because if we think to the first book, uh, I think one of the most tender moments in the first book is when he looks into the mirror of Erised, which Erised is just desire spelled backwards. So it shows you your heart's deepest desires. And all he sees in the mirror is his family. All he wants is a family. But as we get later on in the books, we realize he's, he is dealing with this great secret. Uh, He tries to hide the fact that he can speak to snakes. He's bullied Mm -hmm. for that for a little bit. He starts Like, I don't know, getting Voldemort inside his head, feeling like Voldemort's going to control him and his actions. And that causes a lot of tension between him and his friends. So it goes from wanting to have this close-knit family that he was deprived of to hiding secrets from that family he's kind of chosen for himself and kind of struggling with that. I don't know. So much of of Harry's story is so mysterious. And I think that, and, and, and he spends his, the entire book series trying to unravel like what it is that happened right. um, to him, to his parents, um, what his role is in the future. He's kind of, he's got all these mysteries in his past and all these mysteries in his future. And he's just trying to figure it out. And I think that's, that's just the human experience. I think that's a good point. You know, a lot of times as children, we think of our parents as so much better than they are. They're, I mean, they're kind of like, I don't want, I hesitate to say God figures in our eyes, but that's kind of the role they're playing, right? They have so much more knowledge and experience than we do. And then as we grow up, that image in our mind that we've created of them starts to get broken a little bit as we realize they're just people just like us. They're just older and more experienced. And I, I, Harry reflects a lot of that, growing to find that maybe Dumbledore wasn't the person he said he would, or his parents weren't the people they said he were, or they said they were, you know, it's very much a growing up story, which I think like you were saying to someone who is growing up, it is a very helpful and tender tale. And I mean, we talked about themes of family and friendship. One of the best themes of family here are the Weasleys. 
Uh, what do we got going on here? My favorite part is where Snake falls off. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong everything, PJ. Get out of here. <laughs> oh, my word. No, I think a lot of a lot of this, and this comes up, I think, is most poignant in book four and then in the end, where Harry keeps looking for a hero. He keeps yeah. looking for somebody. In book four, he thinks that he has seen evidence that his dad came back and, and helped um, and then he just has to realize, oh, it's me. Like, yeah. it has to be me. Um, and kind of just coming to the conclusion of if you want somebody to save you um, and to save your world, uh, it's pr- probably needs to be you. If you're the one noticing and seeing the need, it's it probably needs right. to be you. I love that because so often in our culture, we have that bystander syndrome. You know, we see all of these terrible things that happen on public buses and on street corners and nobody stands to help because they're all expecting someone else to do it. You know, it doesn't have to be me. Someone else can be the hero. And one of the things Harry really has to grapple with is it's him. He he does have to be the hero. And I, like you said, a lot of times God calls us to that position. We are called to be the hero in those situations as hard as that burden is to bear. Yeah, I think a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to talk themselves out of doing the things that they know they need to do. Yeah, which brings us to one of the most interesting aspects of the story, I think, is that these books aren't afraid to grapple with real and great evil. I mean, Voldemort literally splits his soul into seven pieces by basically killing people so he could live forever. I mean, jeez. That, that is a real evil to grapple with in a kid's book. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I found that the, the stories that have moved me the most in the children's literature, young adult realm are books that do not, do not try to soften yeah. the evil of the world. They, they might state it in more simple terms, but they don't. They don't tell lies about it. And I think that we don't do our kids any any services by by lying to them. No, I think you're absolutely right. It It's too bad because I think a lot of times in our culture, we spend a lot of time dumbing down or trying to hide the greatest evils while at the same time propping up false evils like the false evil of racism or homophobia or, you know, whatever, not to say those things don't happen, but they make it out to be a bigger deal than true evil in the world. Like a lot of the evil that's talked about in Harry Potter. I mean, the abuse of the elves is a real thing. We could think about uh, the abuse of so many people overseas who make our cell phones for crying out loud. You know, we don't talk about those real things, but they're willing to grapple with those real things in a YA novel, which I really appreciate. And we talked a little bit about struggling with responsibility. And I think the big one is self-sacrifice. So we get to the very end of the seventh book. Seriously, guys, if you haven't read these books, you might want to turn off (laughs) this podcast. Um, But we get to the last book and Harry finds out that one of those pieces of Voldemort's soul is trapped in him. So the only way to truly end the great evil of this world is for him to sacrifice his own life. I mean, what a lovely picture of what Christ did for us. 
in this book that Christians riled against for so long. I mean. And I, I can get angry about that because so often it seems that Christians will. And, and when I say Christian, I mean, just like the, the conglomerate, right? right. We'll pick a handful of things that are really easy to label as sin. They're really clear cut. You can say, oh, well, this one series of books, bad. You can let your kids read everything else. As long as you don't let them read this series, you're a good parent. And then they won't. It's just permission to not pay attention to anything else. It's not thoughtful. You're just listening to what one thought leader told you. And in giving yourself permission to not pay attention to the other things your kids are consuming, giving yourself per- permission to not think critically about, like, why? Why is this bad? Because witchcraft is bad. And you absolutely have to teach your children that witchcraft in this world is satanic. It is not bad because it's not true. It's bad because it's true. It's bad because it's witchcraft is real. Right. Um you don't teach your kids that by saying you can't read this fantasy novel that has fantasy witchcraft in it. I I think that's a very fair point. One of the things my parents did when I was growing up with this book series is they made it very clear uh, the difference between the air quotes magic of the real world and the magic of the fantasy world. The magic of the fantasy world is a mechanism to get, especially in Harry Potter was a mechanism to convey morals because there's a moral system, right? There's, good magic there's evil magic there's dark arts right even that you're not supposed to do that are supposed to be locked away and there are real ramifications for performing these different types of spells whereas in the real world we have god right who we rely on who brings us miracles and can bring us joy and then there's the true satanic magic right which people unfortunately have gotten accustomed to so much in today. I mean, we think about that statue that was erected recently. Where was that? In New York City. That was basically a statue to abortion. Yeah. And we don't realize that. I mean, it, it's pervaded our society more than we've given it credit for. I, I can't like I can't stress enough how much how harmful it is. To just pick a handful of things that are really easy to define and say, as long as I avoid these things, I'm a good Christian. Yeah. As long as I'm not homosexual, as long as I don't abort my baby, as long as I don't read Harry Potter, as long as I don't do yoga, as long as I don't blah, 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 all these things. And it's like each of those things may or may not be bad. You should have a thoughtful conversation about each of those things. But I think so often it is, it's just a, it's just a cop out for actually evaluating everything and recognizing that your heart in doing something means an awful, awful lot. And uh, I, I don't know. I could stop me. I could go on. No, go for it. Go for it. That's what we're, we're here to talk about the cultural impact. And I think one of the biggest cultural impacts were the ones you and I saw growing up. I mean, I grew up in the Southern Bible belt, right? Uh, I was talking to my husband about this not too long ago. His parents basically were kind of captured by this whole movement. And they went through the house and threw out every Harry Potter book, threw out the Chronicles of Narnia, threw out anything that could even be tangentially related to magic because they were so afraid of it. And now reflecting back on it, they you know, realized, oh, well, that was kind of a weird overstep. 
we're not really, and this is the thing, they're not really sure why they did it. They knew that other people in their church were doing it, so they did it too. And that's kind of the part that gets me is like, Christians are supposed to be so much more kind, you know, above following in with the crowd, doing what God calls us to do. And to just start throwing out books without having read them, uh, without thinking them through, I don't know. It, yeah. it can be very dangerous and it can set a bad precedent, especially for your young children. And in Christian parents ignored all kinds of other crap that snuck in to YA literature. Right. Because they weren't actually paying attention. That's the yeah. thing. They weren't actually paying attention. Somebody told right. them Harry Potter was evil. And they were like, okay. <laughs> Guess it must be evil then. The thoughtlessness absolutely kills me. Yeah. I like what Cody says here. God gave us brains. We should use them. We really should. And this brings me to one of the things I want to talk about. We're not here to just rail against, um, you know, Christians of the 90s and 2000s who did this. I want to actually go through with you guys and point out some of the major Christian themes in Harry Potter. Um, so I just want to show this article to you guys real quick. I mean, even J.K. Rowling herself said that she intentionally put Christian imagery in these books. Um so if we go down here, so to her, J.K. Rowling speaking, the religious parallels have always been obvious. So if we think back to, I can't remember, was it um, book seven or when we see the tombstones in Godric's Hollow, both for the Dumbledore family and for Lily and James Potter, they have Bible verses on them. Um, on the Dumbledore family's tombstones, it says uh, Matthew 6.21. Uh, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And for the potters, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. I mean, the Christian themes in these books is so poignant and, and very beautiful. I mean, we even said at the very end of book seven, Harry sacrifices his life to basically save everybody and to stop Voldemort. I mean, to give children that picture of Christ. Yes, it's through fantasy, but to give them a way to bridge the gap from the fantasy world to the real world that we see in Christ is very powerful. I think that's something that's really underestimated by people is that whenever a story becomes as wildly famous as Harry Potter and takes that much of a hold in the collective imagination, it's because it's true. It's a true story. J.K. Rowling is not a believer. But when she wrote her story, she she found something true. And in all stories that have that much, I mean, it's a classic at this point, um, just right. by, by the definition of a classic. Um, and all classics have have some root in what is what is true. Yeah, um, they might not be a hundred percent true. I think there are things about 1984, for example, that are not sure. that are not true, but just very powerful stories. And this is what my literature professor. I was I was proud of him. Because he kind of came up in that same generation of my parents where he believed what was told to him about Harry Potter. And then he got looking at it and he was like, it has reached classic status. Why? Right. So he read it and he fell in love with it. And he said, and this is a deeply Christian man. This is the great American epic. I love that. <laughs> I absolutely he, love that. 
He's like a Harry Harry Potter evangelist. I love that so much. And that just goes to show you, read the damn book. <laughs> I mean, before you judge, literally, before you judge a book by its cover, we say this all the time, read it. Give it a chance. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, I love that story. And I like that you asked the question, why? Why Harry Potter? What about it that... What about it has made it such a worldwide phenomenon? Why is there a whole theme park dedicated to it? I mean, why has it captured our imagination so tightly? It's a really good question. <laughs> Dr. <supposed> B- <laughs> you can if you can. Oh, Team Voldemort, get out of here, Dr. Bob. Canceled. It's it's such a big question because the story is so vast. And yet so simple, right? Yeah. It's it's this... I think every good theme that you can think of that you would want to be in a good story is there in some form. Um, and it's there in a really digestible way. There's a beauty to it being written in the YA children's genre because uh, one of my favorite authors had this quote, Madeline Langle, if it's too complicated for adults, write it for children. Uh, And I don't know if Harry Potter could have been told in the same and beautiful way as an adult book, as it was told as a YA book. Something about its simplicity does give it, I don't know, that extra sort of magic. Yeah. I like how there is nuance where there needs to be nuance because she does know how to write that. Um, she writes really complex characters and there are some characters where you spend the whole series trying to figure out if they're good or evil. But the things that need to be clear are clear. And what right. is good and evil is ultimately very clear. And what is fam- what is a good family and what is a bad family is very clear. And what she does I think is so beautiful is she gives really good examples that are really clear on either end of the spectrum. And then she puts some in the middle. So she's like, Lord Voldemort, evil. We never (laughs) question whether the bad guy is evil. Right. And then the Weasley family, good. We never have to question whether the Weasley family is good. And then even Harry Potter and Mm -hmm. Snape and Dumbledore and everyone else is somewhere in the middle and you, and you figure out, but you, you end up teaching kids about how to deal with good and evil and how to work through those shades of gray and be discerning. I think that brings up a really good point because so many of the interesting characters do fall in that shade of gray. Like if we think about someone brought up in the chat that Malfoy is misunderstood. Malfoy, I think is a really good shade of gray to explore, right? He was kind of the bully for most of the series, but you can kind of see where he's coming from because his parents were really caught up in this dark world. And that begs the question, if you grow up in a family where your parents are doing evil and bad things, how do you yourself break out of it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's because generational curses are real. They're very real. And that's explored a lot here. I mean, if you think of the whole Black family, you talk about generational curses. There's a lot uh, in the Harry Potter universe, in um, even into Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them and all that stuff, of this concept of 
these families and these generations and and kind of what brought people to this place and what what families have have healed and what have gotten gone rancid and 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 who has like broken out and who has not i mean i think that we see snape is is an example of somebody who was just by himself trying to figure out how to be a good person and i wonder if snape is not an interesting parallel of Malfoy he's like a foil for both Malfoy and Harry Mm. because Snape was bullied as a child too if I'm remembering correctly and it's only because of his relationship with Lily that he started to find friendship and kindness but even when he got to Hogwarts he was still bullied so trying to find the good in yourself despite cruelty around you I think is a big theme and Harry Potter is learning to be good even when others are not. I don't know. What do you guys think in the chat? It, it cuts against this attitude of the left. No, PJ. We're not doing <laughs> are the Weasley family the real villains on the next episode of Conspiracy Pill. This is this is ridiculous. Stop go away. <laughs> she vetoed you, PJ. Yeah. Um, if anyone wants to be my new co-host, just let me know. Um <laughs> This leftist idea that you are defined by your context, by your upbringing, by your race, by your family, or whatever. Um, Harry Potter has a lot of characters who who went through really terrible things in their childhood, experienced a lot of trauma, terrible, terrible context, and choose to pull out of that. Right. And then other characters who were given everything and choose to be little cowards. (laughs) <laughs> right. I think that's a really excellent point. All right. So we we talked about some of the Christian themes in Harry Potter. I do want to kind of talk about the Patronuses because, I mean, you brought up earlier that Harry thought his father was the Patronus. I think the Patronus is a really interesting Christian picture in the novel. So uh, in Latin, it I think it roughly translates to I expect, right? Expecto. Uh, a guardian or a protector, right? The Patronum part. And we think of that Patronum part as guardian, protector, or pater, father, right? So there's this idea that uh, if you're coming at it through a Christian lens, there's this divine sort of intervention, not something that you conjured, but something that, I don't know, you've asked to come and help. And I think God can be that for us in a lot of ways. So I don't know, these little, these little, peek throughs I feel like these little glimpses you get of good moral values of Christianity just kind of spark up throughout the book series and kind of add to that little magic it more than just right the Hogwarts magic but a a more spiritual and real tangible type of magic I feel like that's what people connect to I agree thank you (laughs) sometimes i don't have a comment (laughs) fair well and then there's lots of symbolics of evil like if we think of slytherin house and the snake that follows voldemort around i mean throughout all of christianity snake has been the symbol of evil right since the garden of eden and i don't know there's so many little things like that it if you just take five minutes to read the book you realize that it has more to offer than oh it's just a book about witchcraft now, that's not to say there can't be legitimate questions. So let's play a devil's advocate for a minute. 
Do you think Harry Potter could have been the genesis to let people get interested into magic? Um, because we know that with its great success, there have been lots of sort of copycat books that have since followed, and they may not necessarily deal with the good morals that Harry Potter deals with, more with the darker side of the magic. I don't have a comment. <laughs> don't have a comment? <laughs> I don't know. That's a question I ask myself. So I was in um, Barnes & Noble not too long ago. And I swear, every book is either a LGBTQ LMNOP book or it's a witchcraft book. Yeah. And I don't know if the, the witchcraft in literature would have originated organically because our culture is constantly moving more mm. away from Christianity and more into secular humanism and more into the occult or if the popularity of Harry Potter was so intense that people chose to learn the lessons they wanted to from it and instead of looking for the good morals they just pulled out the magic part and thought that was what made it su successful and have since co incorporated it into their writings so i think for the timing of that so i had to cook on my 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 take on this um i didn't notice the glut of witch books mm -hmm. until the last five years okay. harry potter's been out way longer, way than, longer that. than that that's fair um i saw similar i i saw imitators who tried to do schools like yeah. schools for superheroes or schools for spies or something like that. I think that they they thought that the, the magical piece to replicate was not mm -hmm. the witchcraft, but the, but the school part. boarding school found family thing. That's fair. That's fair. Because some of the examples yeah. I was thinking of that came out not long after Harry Potter were things like Miss Peregrine's Peculiar Children. That's a home for yeah. disaffected youth. Percy Jackson, right? All of the what half-breed children of the gods came to, like, this camp. Um, the magicians, which I guess is an adult version, they, they go to a magical college yeah. instead. So I th maybe you're right. Maybe it's the school aspect they're focusing on more and less the magic aspect. I, I don't want to pretend that... that Harry Potter had nothing to do with with bringing witchcraft to the forefront because I think that Harry Potter spoke to a lot of people who had nothing else. Yeah. And it became kind of their, their Bible, their gospel. It has a lot of good and true things in it. And so that makes a lot of sense. And I think that what coincides with that cohort of people is that, when they reached adulthood, they also started looking for other things that would bring them mm. meaning. And so because they didn't have God, they never had God. They never had the Bible. They never had meaning. They're going to continue to pursue false gods. And that's going to look like witchcraft. I think it's more of a coincidence. Unless um, a, a nucleation point. Yeah, it's not, it's not causation, right. but it's not, it's, it's not, not, not completely, correlation. Yeah, it's not a completely meaningless coincidence, right? Sure. It the same type of people who caught on to Harry Potter in their youth 
also tend to catch on to a lot of these pursuits of false gods, which is why you see so many people who are such massive, massive fans of Harry Potter growing up completely um, leaving it behind now yeah. that J.K. Rowling's a <laughs> turf. <laughs> Whatever that means. So, I, and I think that brings us to a good transition point to talk about Harry Potter in our modern culture. So, we talked about it uh, kind of in our childhood growing up and the response to it. So, now the modern response has been absolutely bonkers. So, you guys all know that uh, <laughs> Harry Potter fans have lost their ever loving mind. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, turfism. Uh, so, turfism <laughs> is trans exclusionary radical feminism. So, J.K. Rowling simply believes that men cannot be women. She's not a conservative. She is not a Republican. Like you said, she's not even really a Christian. She just believes that biology exists, which it does. And for some reason, that means we can't like like Harry Potter anymore. Oops. It's such a religion and it's like sacrifice this thing you love from your childhood on this altar if you want to be a good person. It's so sad. I've watched. This was part of what was going on when I was in book Twitter before I got radicalized and and decided to come out as a conservative on Twitter and tweet about politics instead. (laughs) But I, I watched people be heartbroken over it and still burn their Harry Potter books, still leave it behind. And it was just. But they so completely bought into this idea that it was so evil. Like they truly believe it's like religiously evil. Um, And it's, I honestly, that's something I admire about them because Mm -hmm. they, if their biggest massive hero who did so much good for them growing up commits a sin, they, they don't make excuses. Right. They just let them go. And we, we can, we conservative Christians who are actually supposed to care about morality, we're like, who cares that, that my hero did all of these awful, awful things? I'll just lower the bar. Right. Who cares that Joel Osteen is stacking his house with pallets of cash, you know, <laughs> lower the bar, lower the bar. I mean, I, I, that's a good point. They take their religion much more seriously than Christians take their religion. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times. And uh, we can see this in the most recent video game that's come out, which if you guys have been watching Hawkhound Gaming, I've been playing periodically. Uh, It's interesting because, of course, the game was called Genocide Simulator or whatever they decided to call it because of J.K. Rowling. But then in my second episode of playing this game, there's a trans character in it. You have to do a whole side quest at the Three Broomsticks. With the trans character that apparently existed a hundred years before the books even took place. They can't this have was, their cake and eat it too. <laughs> this was where J.K. Rowling made a serious error. And I don't think it was cowardice on her part. I do think this is because she is not a moral person. Mm-hmm. But it was when she tried to retcon Dumbledore. gay stuff yeah. into her stories. Tried to make Dumbledore gay. When she started to do that. That's when I think she lost her. If she had just stood firm and said, this is a story that I wrote. It's not up for discussion. I don't think she would actually be in the position she's in now. I think she yeah. made herself a hero to the LGBTQ community and then betrayed them <laughs> in their and, eyes. Uh, yeah. 
And I think this is the point. You can never bow to the mob. Not ever. Never. You cannot give them an inch. You cannot give them a centimeter. You cannot give them a picometer. Like, absolutely nothing. Um, the minute you give them any of it, they're going to take it all. Which is why, you know, she tried to give them her pinky. And now they're gobbling her up. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and it, it's so crazy, too, because she's only made, like, a handful of statements. Right. About the trans issue. Like, it's not like she's out there every day just dragging trans people through the mud. They act like she is. They act like she right. is. She has tweeted, like, three things in the course of, like, five years. That's the thing. It's like... And I wonder if that just goes to show how big Harry Potter really is in the imagination of our culture. That the author can say one thing once every five or ten years... And the whole world explodes over it. That's a crazy amount of power to have as an author. I think she became a god of the yeah. community. When she retconned Dumbledore's gay, I think she genuinely became like a priestess of their religion. And mm. so for them, it was such an incredible betrayal of their faith. Are you still there? Yeah. Oh, you froze for a second. Yeah, I'm still here. Uh-oh. Sorry. Boy, it's not a hawk on stream if we don't have tech issues. You're right. I, I think she did become sort of a priestess of their faith. And uh, like how we react when pastors betray us uh, in our Christian... How we should react, right? Maybe we should react more. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a no grace... You know, there's no grace on the left as they as they talk about their sins. Like as soon as you sin, you need to like die and go to hell immediately. But <laughs> right. Um. But we've got to find something. We we make mm -hmm. we just lower the button. And that's the thing. We don't say, look, this was a sin, and you can come back from it. We say, right. oh, it's no big deal. I'll just adjust my make expectations. Yeah. yeah. Say we're all human and we all make mistakes, which is true. But that doesn't make it okay to continue to make the same mistakes. You know, we're supposed to grow out of that sin. Right. I think we, we see that in Harry Potter. We see characters making errors in judgment, making, you know, there are times when Harry is mean and he has to back up and be like, wow, I was kind of a dick. Um, the whole fifth Harry Potter book, he was an absolute dick. Like, <laughs> I, that's one of my least favorite ones, but... Maybe I should like it more because it shows that he's a human being, right? He was being mean and cruel because he didn't know how to deal with what he was going through. And I mean, that mm. doesn't justify his actions. He had to come to terms with the fact he was being mean to his friends uh, and that he had to take responsibility for that. Yeah. What a good lesson to teach kids. Yeah. And I think at that time in the series, he's really coming to terms with what was done to him. Like what happened to him? Yeah. He He has had enough goodness to see how bad. Right. Like sometimes it, when you first get out of an awful situation, you don't even know yet. And it isn't until you you are presented with something good for long enough where you can look back and be like, oh my gosh. Um, that was bad. And yeah, that was, that was bad. And I think he's coming to terms with it and he's lashing out because um, a lot of times we, we know something is wrong and we punish the wrong people. Because we're not brave enough to name the right perpetrators of things. That's interesting. 
I mean, it's easy to blame the big evil for everything bad that happened in his life. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, even the smaller evil of the Dursleys, they cared for him and raised him his whole life. That must be a hard thing to recognize the people who cared for you and raised you were abusive. Yeah, it does. It does things to you. It does things to your conception of yourself. Like, well, I mean, if the people whose literal job it was, who had the the most, you know, shared DNA with right. me, had the most reason to to love me and, and care for me, um, didn't see fit to do so. Um, how can I expect anybody else to? How can I even how can I even begin to face the world um, in this state? So. And I think that's what made the love that the Weasley showed him so, mm-hmm. so special. I mean, what an absolute treasure to find such a kind and loving family. And I love that both the Weasley family and the Malfoy family are kind of foils for each other, right? You have this big, rich family who is caught up in all of these dark places. They have a really hard time relating to one another. They struggle to communicate. Um, There's a lot of broken relationships there because they're so focused on power, whereas you have this family who has very small means but they have intense love for each other and they're willing to help anyone who was also struggling and kind of bring them into their own family whereas the Malfoys wouldn't even treat their servants well yeah there is so much there are so many different versions of evil in Harry Potter so many like really malicious thoughtful evils and then you have your thoughtless evils, your careless evils, and your selfish evils, and um, your things that look evil but aren't. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, just, they just don't know how to look good. I, Thinking of Harry's godfather, mm. where he just, he's just been in the dark so long, he doesn't, he doesn't know how to look like a good guy at first. I really feel for Sirius. So the picture we get of Sirius in the movies and the picture we get of Sirius in the books are two totally different Siriuses, yeah. I feel like. Um, you can seriously? kind of see... Seriously. <laughs> get out. <laughs> Where's PJ? Um, but we can kind of see in the movie, or not in the movies, in the books, he's trying to take on this role of mentoring Harry, like we see his face appear in the fire every so often, trying to offer Harry advice. But he's also really, really struggling with the fact that he was in Azkaban for so long, paying the price for someone else's crime. I mean. Yeah. What what a terrible, terrible life to live. And again, Harry, the books aren't afraid to shy away from really hard life situations. And those themes of betrayal are so intense, especially so in that, intense. that particular storyline of, of this, like, how do you even know who to trust when some people are such cowards that even though you would expect them to be good and you know that they believe in the good, they would rather side with evil because they're such cowards. Right. <laughs> ah. uh. So then here's the question I have. There, these fans of the books who have just absolutely written off J.K. Rowling, did they miss the point of the books to begin with? Were were they reading an entirely different story than we did? 
yes and no because I think there's so many incredible themes in Harry Potter that I think some people definitely just picked out the ones that they wanted mm-hmm. and then kind of shamed, uh, shaped them and framed them into what they wanted. So you'll see people who are like, Harry Potter taught me to be gay. And it's like, no, it didn't. How? It didn't. <laughs> it, it taught you that it's okay to be different. It right. taught you... Um, that it's okay to not fit in and it taught you that um, you can I mean so many kids are like afraid to be good at school because they won't be cool or something like it definitely taught you that it's okay to work hard in school like that was a huge that was a huge theme it's okay to work hard and pursue your interests God love Hermione Granger (laughs) and just to be the whole of your personality because there's so many amazing personalities in Harry Potter that's the thing about that the houses people make fun of people who are like I'm a Gryffindor as I sit here in my Ravenclaw shirt (laughs) it gave people permission to say I'm not the same as everybody else I have a different personality than other people but that all of them are good and the world needs all of them like Right. Hogwarts wouldn't be Hogwarts if you didn't have all f- all four. Of the That's house. the thing: is Sl- Slytherin's not the evil house. You can't have Hogwarts without Slytherin, right? There is good to be found in there. There's good to be found in all of the houses, and there's evil to be found in all of the houses. And I think that just tells a very genuine story. And you're right; I think people were picking and choosing. It's easy to focus on all of the things that you can use to shape your identity, like the houses, like the, I don't know, people can pick their Patronuses or their wands or whatever. All of these little accessories to your personality, (laughs) like those personality quizzes. It's so much fun. Like I, I I really enjoyed all this. I took all the quizzes. I enjoyed all the things. Um, I love the concept of a Patronus. Um, so the whole Dementors, Patronuses thing is so cool because Dementors are this like demon creature who just sucks all the life and joy out of you. Right. Um, they're, they're supposed to be an allegory for depression, but there's so much more. Like they really just pull everything out of you. And the way to stop them is to cast this like to literally call for a guardian yeah to but it's coming out of you and that you think of a you think of a um wonderful memory right and then you cast it and it's an an animal and it just it blocks the dementor and it like it it i love it right it's it's such a lovely picture yeah there's she she writes so many tools for just coping with life yeah <laughs> and and facing sadness and facing evil into her books i i think that a lot of people just wrote their own gospel out of it mm-hmm. just the same, ex- same exact what thing people do with the bible right they pick and choose the verses that they like they ignore the ones that they don't right they move on I, that's a that's a good point which is why we see so many churches with pride flags draped all over them people mm-hmm. do pick and choose uh here's an interesting uh chat so john says dementors were used by the good guys to catch the bad guys that's a very interesting phenomenon isn't it It, yes and no to that because Mm -hmm. that assumes something that basically jk rowling says isn't true later in the book which is that Mm -hmm. the entire ministry and system was good Mm -hmm. um 
the best you can say is that they're used by the neutral people to catch right mostly bad guys and sometimes good guys <laughs> because they're indiscriminate like the right. the the prison uses them as wardens and to catch prisoners who have run away but they're not yeah yeah interesting though it's an interesting premise because I wouldn't say that the Ministry of Magic is necessarily perfect, just like we wouldn't say that our government is necessarily perfect. Uh, governments use less than wholesome means to manage people who are less than wholesome and sometimes to manage people who are wholesome, but they need to keep quiet for whatever reason. It's it's one of those gray areas, I feel like, just like so many of the things in her book are. Um, let's see. I, I do think there is a bit of a, like we were talking about, a mirror of Erised problem with the way people have taken the Harry Potter books. They kind of see it as a mirror for what they want out of life. Because like you said, there's so many good themes and Harry Potter that you can sort of project your own desires onto that, what you want to be fulfilled in yourself. If you're feeling like an outcast, if you're feeling unaffirmed and whatever your thing is, you want something to give you meaning. And the story of Harry Potter is so unique and so genuine and that it can fulfill that role. I think that's why there's so much fan fiction about it besides some of the, <laughs> weird stuff people put online. So then that brings me to the question as what is the greater impact it has had on the culture overall? What is this slippery slope that these people who have been shaming JK Rowling into? Like, I mean, they were literally carving her name off of the front of these books. And now we see that she's not the only one being censored. Uh, Roald Dahl is also being censored. They're going through and editing his books to remove non-inclusive language. I mean, where does it end? It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't end. I, I think that they came for J.K. Rowling first because she betrayed them. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's really the only reason. But they, they only know how to destroy and they will continue mm -hmm. to destroy um, they'll start with the things that they used to love and then they'll go on to destroy everything else. Yeah. It, it's scary the impact they've had on literature. So I just want to share this quick video. I was in Barnes and Noble not too long ago. And this is a huge section of the young adult section, all YA LGBTQ LMNOP like, the YA romance, the YA fantasy and sci-fi sectioned off into a small part. This is basically all of YA now. I mean, it's completely taken our culture by storm. It's not like there's a section like this in adult literature. They're specifically targeting young adults. I feel like. Yeah. For sure. Young adult literature has been going woke for far longer than anyone has has noticed. There were book series that were coming out when you and me were 
um, book series that should have been. Um, oh, sorry. A picture just fell off the wall. It's okay. <laughs> book series that should have been censored by parents, but were completely ignored. Yeah. Um, <laughs> things that, that took incredible hold that weren't, weren't filled with such wonderful themes, weren't rooted in so much truth. Um, but it, but went on to really define things and, and push things. And uh, I'm thinking particularly of Cassandra Clare and all the series of books that she's written and pushed homosexuality, trans stuff, non-binary stuff, all kinds of like to an incredible degree. Um, Those books are very popular. They're very, very popular. They're well-written. Yeah. They're good stories. I've read, I've read them. Um, that's, something I did after reading Harry Potter was tried to read all of the like really big series that had really captured people's minds. And I found that only a couple of them were as powerful as Harry Potter and, and Hunger Games. And the rest were just really, really good propaganda. Yeah. Really entertaining I'm, stuff. I mean, we were talking in our um, romance episode, we mentioned Twilight because Stephanie Meyer also wrote the host. Um, and there are lots of good Christian themes in that book series as well uh, that we mentioned. That's another series that took everybody by storm. But you also have some of those darker undertones like with the vampires and the werewolves. It's too bad how many of these um, stories have, I don't know, tried to manipulate our youth and how much more woke it has gotten it's like now I can't read a book without there being some sort of LGBT, LMNOP sort of trap in it. E even when it's not marketed that way. It's like it can be a perfectly straightforward romance or a perfectly straightforward fantasy novel. And they just have to sneak it in there. And I wonder if that's a barrier to entry now. If you don't have it in your books, it's not even worth publishing. Yeah, yeah. I, the publishing houses are driving this for sure. Yeah, it's too bad. So, what do you guys think in the chat? I mean, the Harry Potter books are great; they're magical. Um, you definitely have to guard your heart when reading anything, absolutely anything, whether it be Harry Potter or Twilight or. Uh, basically anything that is fiction, right? You have to make sure you're learning the right lessons from that. So moving forward, knowing what is out there, how how can we pick the right books for our children? Are we going to have to read thousands of pages of novels before they read it? Can we let children just run and explore libraries anymore? How, how can we protect them from the great propaganda that's really taken over literature? I'll tell you what I wanted my parents to do my entire okay. childhood. I think that we vastly underestimate children mm. and how much they think and how much they want to be allowed to think and want to be treated like they are beings who can think um, and who, yes, we need to shelter or like protect our children. Mm. But what I wanted was for my parents to trust me that I would come to them and tell them I just wanted to talk about books. I wanted to be able to start a book and, and to be able to come to them and say, 
hey, this this book has a gay character in it. Can we talk about it? And that only works if your lines of communication are open with your children and right. if they know what the standards are, they know what morality is. Um, they're not going to be able to recognize something that's wrong if they don't have, if they know exactly don't know what's true so definitely i would say start kids off with the good and true and beautiful things Uh, make sure you've read the bible with them make sure you've read chronicles of narnia with them and all these these good things and then let them go to libraries and say hey if you see something that feels wrong like not everything is good here right if you see something in your world that feels wrong come and talk to me and that should be just be across the board like yeah if, if you're talking to an adult and something seems wrong to you, tell me. If you're like, it's everywhere. It's, we can't pretend that entertainment's the only place where bad things happen. And kids need to be yeah. equipped to handle the world. I think that's a good point. We can't act like we can totally shelter them. And I think there are ages and stages, right? Like you said, make sure you're reading the Bible with them. Make sure you read the Chronicles of Narnia. You slowly give them the tools that they need at the appropriate age, but you can't hold on. You can't white knuckle it, right? You can't be holding on so tightly that they don't feel like they can breathe because if you hold on too tightly, then they're just going to run away the first Mm. chance that they get. Um, I know that was something I kind of struggled with when I was young. I was also homeschooled. I didn't have very restrictive reading, but I had other types of restrictions that made me feel like I wanted to break out of that. Um, And so I went to college. You know, everybody has a sort of crazy college phase. But then you take a step back. I realized my parents were right about a lot of things. But we also learn about things that we can do better too, right? Better in the future, have more conversations. Ooh, I love what John says. Pray with your kids. Please pray with your kids. But pray with your kids, not at your kids. Yes, with them. I cannot stress that enough. (laughs) Yes. I I had a very spiritual childhood and a lot of it was very oppressive. I was not invited into it. I was not invited to, I, I, I believed all of it and I wanted to be invited into it and I wanted to be allowed to have those conversations and instead I was preached at and prayed at and made to sit for long periods of time <laughs> hearing things that I knew and that weren't like that's not what I needed to hear and the things that I did need to hear were not <laughs> not there so it's not I think we I keep coming back to this theme with Harry Potter that the trappings are never the thing to focus on like right harry potter has all the trappings of witchcraft but none of the substance of witchcraft and so many right. christian homes have all of the trappings of christianity and none of the substance none of the substance and the substance is what matters you guys it's like <laughs> and it's harder it is harder faith without works is dead as they say you know we will show you our faith by our works it's not enough to just listen to christian music it's not enough to read all of the right books and say all of the right things you have to do something with that you have to do something tangible uh, with that like you were saying i think that's really important dr bob first learn them to swim and then they can walk teach them to shoot straight buy them a dog what is this <laughs> list of chores <laughs> and, 
at first I thought it was going to be really philosophical and impactful, and now I'm just confused. No, no, I, no, I, I'm back to, I've been on the bell curve with this comment. Okay. It's back to being really philosophical again. <laughs> okay. How is it really philosophical again? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying so hard. <laughs> Teach at at the earliest stage that you can teach a child something foundational. Like mm -hmm. instead of saying, oh, you're four, let's keep you as far away from the water as possible so you don't drown. Teach your kid to swim as early as you can possibly mm. teach them to swim. And then um, teach like them to shoot straight as early as they could possibly hold a gun. Instead of holding and, and buy them a dog. Um, oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, get them a checking account and pay the bills. Yes. <laughs> but well, actually, I think that's important. <laughs> Abby, I, I I know I wasn't probably a typical kid. I'm not a typical person. But there is so much that I wanted to do, wanted to learn, wanted to know, wanted to be allowed to be entrusted with much sooner. And I, I do think that parents spend a lot of time infantilizing their children mm -hmm and trying to keep them from growing up too fast and trying to not face how scary it is um, yeah. to raise children. I, I get it's a very scary, very scary parent, parenting is very, very scary. But I think so often parents just, they do all the things to make them feel like they've done everything right. They've kept their kids from reading Harry Potter Right. They've kept their kids off of social media or whatever. And then they're like, I've done everything right. I released you into the world. But they've never had thoughtful conversations with their kids about evil. They've never had thoughtful conversations. Right. Like you could you could either keep your kids from anything referencing witchcraft in entertainment, or you could actually teach your kids why witchcraft is wrong. Mm -hmm. And one of those things is going to keep them from witchcraft only as long as they're in your house. Right. And one of those things will last. That's the difference between equipping them with a real Christ-like faith and just the trappings of faith, right? Mm -hmm. Actually teaching them how to pray, not just talking at the sky or making a wish list full of items for God. Teaching them how to actively engage with their Bible, how to actively engage with church, how to critically analyze the world, how to critically think, right? If you don't equip your children with these skills and tools as a parent, Someone else will. That's the thing. Right. Right. You are not the only influence in their life. Right. They, they will. Have, they will. <laughs> yeah. They will either not know how to think at all. They'll just be thoughtless. Or, or somebody else will teach them how to think. Those, those are your only two choices. Well, and that's why we see this phenomenon where people go to college and they come back a raging lib. It's because right. so often their parents didn't teach them how to think. And when they go to a place where people do teach you how to think, just think propaganda, that's what they learn how to think. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, oh, I don't remember the science, the philosophical classification, but basically there's, there's this stages of moral reasoning thing mm -hmm. where at each stage of moral reasoning um you start off as a little little kid you you reason morally in a certain type of way and you grow up and and there are some stages where a lot of adults don't get past this stage even though right. they did age because it's not just age-based and there is a 
a way to choose right and wrong at each stage of moral reasoning. And so many people are choosing right at an incredibly low stage of moral reasoning. And then their kids look at it and they're like, that's so stupid. Right. And they throw out, they think they have to throw out the conclusion when they just needed to graduate to a like higher stage of reasoning. That was probably too dense for this podcast. but <laughs> No, I like it. I like that we're able to talk about such deep and meaningful things when talking about a book series. Um, but because we're talking about a book series, let's rank our favorite books. Let's actually get. I'm excited. Okay, guys, we're going to get nerdy for a little bit. We've done the deep philosophical talking. Let's be absolute nerds now. All right. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Favorite? Love? Okay. Meh. Bad. It is her least well-written book. It's very nostalgic. It's Mm -hmm. such a Christmas book. It is so Christmas. I would honestly put that one in just okay, but then the illustrated edition in love. That's fair. That's fair. It's hard because the style of writing gets better as Harry gets older, right? I think he's what 11 when the first book starts and it's written for an 11 year old. And then the chamber of secrets written a little more mature and it gets more and more mature. And then you get to the seventh one where it's truly very deeply YA uh, almost bordering being an adult novel. All right, what do we think? Chamber of Secrets. I think that's my least favorite one. <laughs> Wait, what? Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm going to put it okay because I like it. <laughs> Maybe meh. Meh more appropriate? It's not bad. I won't I won't fight you over it. I won't fight okay. you over it. It is my personal least favorite, but I don't know if I would put it in meh. Uh, you would put it, it in bad? No, I, I would probably put the book in okay and okay, the okay. the um it's probably just that the plot It's darker. It It, it is it went from zero to a hundred really fast. I it the first one is so cozy and nice. Mm-hmm. And the and, and Chamber of Secrets is like, what the heck? It's all of a sudden you're in this mansion that was cozy now it's all leaky and scary it's a necessary plot of being a part of the plot but i'd like it as a halloween book because you're right it is so creepy and it you start to see the first threads of the deeper plot that's there right uh figuring out that harry can speak to snakes and that I mean, this is their first encounter. No, it's not their first encounter with the Horcrux. The first one was Quirrell, right? So that wasn't the first one. But it's, I I would say, their darkest encounter with the Horcrux at this point. Yeah, and I think it's part of it is just because it's an unknown. Like, they don't know what they're getting into at all. So, yeah, I would kind of put the movie in meh, but the book in okay. Okay. We're not to movies yet, I guess. Yeah, we're not to movies yet. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of ourselves. All right. Prisoner of Azkaban. (laughs) Favorite, 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 favorite. Really favorite? favorite? Okay. That oh, one top, I would put, I just love. Um, I didn't read this one as many times as the others. The Dementors really freaked me out, though. Ah, uh, fair as enough. As a kid. Um, I, I had, love the time travel. The time it's travel so is random. awesome. 
Okay, so this is my problem with it. It's like, I love the time travel aspect. If I could time travel, I would do exactly what Hermione did. I would be learning too many things at the same time. I'm 100% relatable. Have you watched the How It Should Have Ended? No. Do you know How It Should Have Ended? No. The YouTube channel? It's a YouTube channel. I I do know the YouTube channel. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. So for those who don't know, it's a YouTube channel that, that takes popular stories and they're like, this is how it actually should have ended. And it'll just uh, introduce a funny storyline. So the how it should have ended for Harry Potter was Dumbledore takes the time turner, turns it for forever, goes back and kills Voldemort. Kills as a Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> and this movie's just over. <laughs> <laughs> the books never happened. You know... <sighs> But why don't do? Why don't they do that? Well, it's not moral to kill a child. I think that there's. I think that J.K. Rowling kind of made a mistake in in not properly explaining the time turner. But I think there are limitations as far as like how far back you can go. You only right. see the characters going back like a day. So. Mm. Yeah, there's some holes there. Um, so I was going to say for the third one, one of the reasons the Dementors scared me so much is, I don't know, I feel like I had lots of really intense, I, I don't know if I want to say encounters with ghosts, but just like a feeling of a dark presence when I was young. I was very, very afraid of ghosts and the Dementors had a lot of that same imagery that I was afraid of. And so that that book <laughs> kind of freaks me out a lot. Um, but let's talk about book four. This one, I would put it favorite. Goblet of Fire. Yeah, that's when they do the Oh, when you were saying earlier that you didn't like book five, I thought you were talking about Goblet of Fire. And I was like, what the heck are you talking about? Um, oh. Oh, I love Goblet of Fire. I, Yeah. I would definitely put that in favorite as well. Good. I'm glad we yeah. can agree on that. It's yeah. such a magical book. The whole idea of the tournament. There's it's a dragon. So good. so good. The for It's not that I don't like the movie. Because I think I would still put the movie in favorite as far as the movies go. Mm-hmm. But the divide between the book version and the movie version is, is really stark. I hate the movie for the, this exact reason. Because, I mean, hold on. I'm going to have a prop here for a second. The fourth book is my most read and worn book. I mean, the spine is literally just falling apart. It was one of my most favorite books as a kid. And when the movie was nothing like it, I was so mad. I just couldn't get over it. I struggled a lot with that with the movies, though. And I understand the need to crunch for time. But when you love a book so much, it's hard to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Book five. Book five. Five is just, it's tough. It's, it's really tough. I th- Five is that moment where Harry is like, oh, my life is not going to get better. Yeah. This I feel is like this be is really bad. Yeah. Yeah. This is when Harry has to choose between good and evil. I feel like. Yeah. 
And he has to choose whether or not he's going to be brave enough to fight it because, and that's when he realizes that no one is going to be on his side. Yeah. Ultimately, the adults are going to fail him. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a feel-good book. It's not. It's, it's not. which one does um Miss the Pink Lady come in? Is that that? Yes, no, it's, it's this one. It is that one. Okay. It is this one. Yeah, that's that's when Hogwarts stops being this safe, wonderful place. Yeah. I, I think it's good. It tells the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would I would probably put it in love because I have such a deep appreciation of it, but it's tough. It's a tough book. I mean, this is the one where he's lashing out at his friends a lot, and those scenes are really hard to read. Um, but the whole Dumbledore's army aspect of everything, them trying to rise up to fight back against Umbridge. I, I can appreciate a lot of those themes and him coming to terms with the fact that he really is going to have to fight this great evil. Yeah, like you said, it's a very tough book. Um, Book six, I have mixed feelings about book six. I feel like so many parts of it were just angsty teen romance I was just not about it at that time in my life when it came out I'm trying to think through it's not as memorable as the others it it starts to blend in this is where we get Snape's backstory though mm. was it this one or was it the seventh one Wait. I can't remember now. I'm just going to set it there because I don't want to hold it. I do I do get them. What's what's the title of this one again? The Half-Blood Prince. The Half-Blood yeah, Prince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is yeah. when we get his backstory. You're right. Yeah. So. Because he finds the book that Snape wrote when he was a kid. And that's how he gets that spell to really hurt Malfoy with. Yeah. It's. This one. The end of this one made me cry because this is the one where Dumbledore dies. Yeah. This the I think the half blood prince is the most mysterious. And and I and I did appreciate that. There's the most like intrigue regarding Snape of like is he or is he cuz the whole series you've been like is he a good guy or is he a bad guy cuz he's always yeah. like hard on Harry. Uh And then you seem to get your answer. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's the bad guy. But that's not the full answer. <laughs> Snape, oh, I love Snape. I would, I would probably put it in love, but you, you. I okay. Mean, yeah, yeah. No, I think love is good because there are parts of it that I love and it needed to happen. Mm-hmm. But it's such a thick book. There are so many parts of it that were really slow and boring. I feel yeah. like it has kind of middle child syndrome. Um, mm. I hate saying that, um, but like it's middle book syndrome, even though it's like the second to last book, where it's yeah. kind of slow. <laughs> And it's, uh, you know, it has really essential elements that you wouldn't be able to have the final book without. Um, yeah. I just kind of struggled with it. And then, of course, the last book. There are things I, I love about the last book. And I, I like that the movie divides it into two, to be honest. Me too. Uh, I, I feel like at that point they were finally trying to really capture all of it. They were trying to yeah. do the book more justice than they had with the others. 
It's 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 definitely one of those like oh the, all of the adults have failed us and the only like the only thing is that that if we know what the right thing to do is we need to just do it because no one else is going to do it mm-hmm. and that theme really comes comes in clear. There are choices that J.K. Rowling made that I had a real problem with. Um, mostly, I think I had a problem with how many people she killed. Yeah. In the end. Um, a lot of it felt very unnecessary heartache. Yeah. Like, I, I, I know that she wanted to communicate... The severity the, the of war. The horror of war, the yeah. severity of it all. But it was too... It was too much all in one scene. I think if she wanted to kill people, she needed to spread it out a little bit more. And it was just in like a lot of them were all in one. Like all in the final battle. You're like, and all these people are dead now. I mean, that's so true because like what one person had died tops per book. Right. And the first one, it was Quirrell and the uh, fourth one it was cedric diggory it was like one 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 and then fifty thousand in the last one right it's like <laughs> and calm and down i think that they the thing is have you heard the concept of of gimme points hmm. with an author so it's like an author in every story has a certain number of gimme points and and they can build them up with like it's it's like social capital with a reader mm-hmm. um and there are certain things that they can do that there's nothing wrong with them doing, but they they use the point points up. So mm-hmm. if you kill a dog, for example, you use oh. up like all of all your of points. your game, all of it, Gone. all of your gimme points. And so you have to you have to use these things that affect readers really keenly, really sparingly. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really perfectly done in Goblet of Fire, where right. you build up a lot of points over the course of the book, and you kill one beloved character right perfect perfect um <laughs> deathly hallows uses up all of the gimme points killing dobby right and then they kill like and she kills fifty thousand other people i was gonna say she uses up most of them killing hedwig so i mean <laughs> i, <laughs> I was already forgot about that yeah. <laughs> right because there's just there's too much and yeah i think if she was going to do that it needed there needed to be another book yeah. Like a rebuilding book of like, okay, I did this awful thing to you. It needed to be the second to last book where everybody died. <laughs> and then. Which she tried to. I don't even know if we would call this a book. I mean, it is a book because it's a book, but it's a play. I don't know. I, did you read this? I enjoyed reading it. Okay. As a standalone book, I en- I enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I enjoyed being back in her world. I enjoyed that there was something new from her. But. As something connected to the story, I would say meh. It just yeah, totally. It, she retcons the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think she just got too separate from her story, and then tried yeah. to write something. She tried to write fan fiction of her own book. <laughs> okay, thank work. you. That's exactly <laughs> what it felt like. It felt like fan fiction <sighs> written by J.K. Rowling. <laughs> uh, Terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it was terrible. I want to see what's going on in the chat before we do the movies. I think John asked a really interesting question for us. Did your opinion of Dumbledore change when you found out he wanted to keep Harry alive long enough to be killed by Voldemort at the correct time? Yeah, it got better. 
Um, because I think a, a a weaker character would not have let himself fall in love with Harry. Yeah. Dumbledore gave Harry every bit of love he possibly could, knowing that that boy was going to die. Mm-hmm. I think that that's incredible. So I think better of him. It is weird that so many people hated Dumbledore after they learned that. And to me, like you said, it's, it is a better picture of love and kindness because he he truly equipped Harry with everything that he needed so he could walk out and give himself as the sacrifice. You know, yeah. he felt loved and he loved other people. And I don't know if Harry could have done that if he hadn't been given all of these great role models like Dumbledore, like the Weasleys, like Hagrid, like Sirius to love on and to learn from. Uh, If a weaker character, like you said, had just found a way to protect Harry or, or even worse, killed Harry himself, right? To try and destroy him as a Horcrux. I think Dumbledore's a better character than we give him credit for. Yeah, for sure. All right. Movies. 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 I'm going to put the first one in favorite because it just has so many good feels. I won't fight you. <laughs> okay. Um, I probably would put it. Um, well, it's one of those movies where I have to watch while doing something else. Because if I just try to like straight watch it, I get too bored. Well, because okay. It, the plot is, but but yeah, it has all it has all the, the things. It has so many good feels. And I'm gonna say this. My opinion of the movies gets worse as they go on. Uh, first because they had to replace Dumbledore. The original Dumbledore was the best. I know why. Because he died and there's nothing we can do about that. It's very sad. But I don't like who they picked for Dumbledore. And I don't like how much they had to cut out. Like, the first Mm. Harry Potter book was short enough that they could truly encapsulate everything in the two hour and a half movie time period. So I felt like they honored the first book as well as they could. Which, to me, made it feel like a great movie. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It it is lower quality. Yeah. As that's fair. As far as a movie goes, but it's it really well done. Yeah, and it really does sum up the book. The book was was lower quality. Right. So, yeah. Absolutely. It's a Christmas movie, I'll bet you. <laughs> it is a Christmas movie, damn it. <laughs> they I they're Cody's right. They should have made more movies. They should have done the Lord of the Rings and broken it up. Chamber of Secrets. Chamber of Secrets. Uh, Same with the, like, it was well done. I just, (laughs) it was suddenly not cozy. Yeah. It was suddenly not cozy. I like watching this one during Halloween because it is scary and creepy. It is really creepy. Like 
the blood on the walls and the basilisk. Oh, it is so creepy and scary. It's yeah, it's a it's a very good Halloween movie. You got your Christmas movie, you got your Halloween movie. Right. And the rest of these going bad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Prisoner of Azkaban is favorite. Oh, okay. <laughs> for the uh, for Hermione getting to punch Malfoy, sure. Yes, yes. And, and then for uh what's his name? Buckbeak. Oh yeah. Oh Buckbeak. Love oh, Buckbeak. that's the other thing I like about uh what is it? I forget. Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> what's the fifth one? <laughs> oh, Order of the Phoenix. Order of the Phoenix. I love Order of the Phoenix for Luna. That's when we get Luna. You're right. Oh, I should love it more because Luna's one of my favorites. I forgot we didn't meet her earlier. That's crazy. She's so big. She looms she, so large. And I feel she, like she's with us the whole time. I know. I mean, she is. That's the whole point <laughs> of Luna. <laughs> oh, God love Luna. Goblet of Fire, I would put favorite or love, depending on how you... I know you don't like it as much. So. I don't. I just love the fourth book so much, and it's such a bad I know. Comparison. Here's okay. So a lot of people say you should you should always read the book first. You and they also say the book is better than the movie. And and what my uncle taught me, and it took me a long time to come around to it, but I finally realized he was right. You have to watch the movie first because if you watch the movie first, you will enjoy both the movie and the book. But if you read the book first, you will. Always hate the movie. Fair. 100% fair. So for, for things like Ender's Game and The Martian, I watched the movie first, loved the movie, continue to love the movie, read the books, love the books more. <laughs> okay, The Martian is a good movie. I'll fight you about Ender's Game. Ender's Game movie is bad. Oh, after I read the book and watched the movie again, I was like, oh, wow. They took out a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but I can still enjoy it because fair. of the original enjoyment of the movie. That's fair. That's fair. Always watch the movie first, people. <laughs> there is wisdom to be had in that. All right. Uh, Order of the Phoenix. This one's kind of scary, too. Oh, man. It's like Voldemort peeking through his head. Ugh. An umbridge. Now that I've remembered Luna, I I have to put it ha huh? <laughs> like love because okay. for Luna, I'll put it there for Luna, for Luna, because the actress for Luna is so perfect too. She is. She perfect. was like the only one who stood with J.K. Rowling. Is she really? I believe so. Wow. I could be wrong. I could be wrong on this. I think Hagrid did as well. Maybe. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Well, love I can't Luna keep even up. more. Yeah, I can't either. Some everybody's taking it back too so <laughs> right speak too loudly everybody's retcon jk rolling at this point i feel like it's hard to know who hasn't what do we got all right i think this is the half blood prince wherever you want to put it i'm i'm like ambivalent on it honestly like the that's the thing snape stuff that's was so thing. good but mm -hmm. like that's not the whole story, and I don't remember most of the rest of the story. See, this is the thing. It has that middle book syndrome. It's boring. It has essential parts that are necessary. Everything else is boring. So it's just okay. Yeah. 
And it has so much teen angst. Like, I don't care. <laughs> the All movies, right. Deathly Hallows, I adore part one. There's something about the feeling of it. You agree? It's like a big camping trip. Yeah. Yeah. It's everybody's hurting and they're scared, but they're also being so brave. Yeah. And it's just really, <laughs> it feels so good. My brother and I went to the midnight premiere for Deathly Hollows Part 1 and Part 2. Yes, we were that nerd. <laughs> my my opinion did improve with the last two movies. I feel like they tried to capture the books better. The last one made me cry too much. I can't put it as favorite. Yeah, it, it took too many give me points. Mm-hmm. I won't fight you wherever you want to put it. Mm. It's usually when I rewatch the series, I just skip the last one. <laughs> a horrible person. No, you're not a horrible person because you're right. The The wanton death was just inexcusable. There was no reason to kill Lumpet and Tonks, damn it. It's for me in that scene where they're panning all the dead bodies and it's like mm-hmm. Lupin, Tonks, and I can't remember if it was Fred or George. I was so mad that they them. killed one of the twins. It's like, oh, me too. kill one of them. No, I'm sorry. Kill, kill, kill zero both of them or none. Or kill, yeah. Yeah. And I honestly, I think that they, he could have, she has heat. JK Rowling, a woman, could have, <laughs> <laughs> she could have gotten the full impact of what she needed by killing both Fred and George. Right. And just said, this war killed fun. <laughs> right. And you don't have it. to make half of fun live without the other half of fun for the rest of his life. <laughs> I, I hate I hated that. Her? It was it was too much. Yeah. He and, and killed one of the other Weasley boys as well, right? Mm-hmm. Charles? Char- it, uh, too many Charlie. Weasleys dead, honestly. Yeah. Killed way Wait, too many yeah. Weasleys. Yeah. And uh, yeah, too too many. I, I appreciated it killed both Lupin and Tonks, but right. like, leave behind a baby? Like, what the heck? That's the thing. It's like, she set the whole series up based around this poor orphan boy, and now she's going to end it by creating another poor orphan boy? That's sadistic. And then she didn't even write a series about that orphan boy? Come on! Right. right. I mean, I would have forgiven it if the next series had been about that orphan. I would have been like, okay, right. you set up the next series. I understand the need for that. And I think that this is part of the problem with how she ended Deathly Hallows. I said this before, like she needed to write more. If if you're yeah. going to end it like that, with that much sadness, you have to you have to make something out of it. Right. And she didn't. It can't just be wanton death for no reason. And maybe that's the point of conveying the harshness of war because that's what real war is yeah a lot of times it is wanton death and it feels a lot of times for no reason and most of the time you don't get closure you just people just have to move on and have to live their lives after that but it doesn't have to be that way in a fantasy novel damn it i know like you're in charge right and i think that you can If you're going to make a point about war, you need to make it earlier in the series and then bind right. up the wounds of that. Like you don't yeah. do it at the end. Be like, and the moral of this heartwarming tale is that war is awful. 
Don't do it, folks. I appreciate that one of the lessons is that the consequence Hmm. of not naming and stamping out evil when it's weak and small and being cowardly and ignoring it and pretending it's not happening and fighting against the people trying to fight it, the consequence is that a lot of harm is done to your society. I get that. Fix it. Make me another book. Right. You're right. That's the overarching theme. There were so many points at which they could have stopped Voldemort, but people were either too cowardly or just too weak-willed to stop him before he got to be as big as he was. And then when he started to come back and Harry warned them, they uh, they were too afraid again and didn't take the steps that needed to be taken before he was at full power. And by the time they realized what they had done, it was already too late. But yeah, yeah. like you said, fix it. All right. Fix it. I, I, I know we disagree. Just, I know we disagree. Yeah. I'm going to let you, you put, rank it. Because, no, no, no. You no, put no, them where you, you want, and then I will make a defense for them. Well, here's the thing. I watched the first one one time, and I don't remember it. So that's okay. why I don't like it. Because it, to me, it was not memorable. Oh. So I think you might give it a fairer shake. <laughs> I... You love it? Okay, I'll put it on. Um, love it. Yeah, either I would probably put the first one in favorite and, and Crimes of Grindelwald in love. And okay. I know that this is not a popular this is not popular. I, I know I know a lot of people are like, these are the worst. I adore Newt. Yeah. As a character, I adore him. I he is just he's so shy. And but he's so quietly confident in his capabilities like he does not apologize to anyone for who he is he doesn't pretend to be anything that he's not but he is incredibly competent at the things he's competent at and that is taking care of all these fantastic beasts and he just quietly performs his competency and given the opportunity saves the world (laughs) (laughs) that's fair and Dumbledore loves him Dumbledore has always um advocated for him he got kicked out of hogwarts <laughs> and um went on to his career and i think the movies are both probably longer than they need to be mm. and that's probably what part of the problem is there's a lot of there's a lot of plot going on and it probably would have been helpful to have books and each each movie should probably have been like at least two books they pack a lot in but there's a lot of political inter- intrigue that's interesting in the wizarding world as you kind of see the World War One to the World War Two, as far mm. as you have Grindelwald, this great evil that really shakes up the society. And then when they're talking about Voldemort coming back, it's just like they don't, it, they've already had Grindelwald, they'd had Voldemort part one, and they didn't want to admit anything bad was going to happen again. Okay, that's fair. If if I'm thinking of it in context like that, whereas Grindelwald is World War One, kind of undermining the coziness of the Wizarding World and setting the stage for Voldemort, 
I could appreciate it more. Maybe I just need to go back and watch them again. We need to watch them together. Okay. (laughs) Something to do this summer. Yes. I... Crimes of Grindelwald frustrated me, I think, because they recast Johnny Depp and it came out mm. right after the Johnny Depp trial. It just hit kind of poorly. Right. But it, it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> That's fair. It's, there's just a lot of fascinating stuff going on. A lot of magical creatures. It, it leans more into... into the like Hagrid side of of <laughs> Harry Potter. Like Well, I with, love all the magical creatures. Yeah. Well with with um the Harry Potter books you you just visit Hagrid and his weird creatures every once in a while. Right. And this one you're just your main character's living with him and he has this whole menagerie of, of magical creatures and they're a major part of the plot. And it's just so much fun. So many shenanigans. And and Newt is just so patient with how he deals with even, even scary magical creatures. He's just very trying to speak their language. And, and I don't know. I just really enjoy it. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. I'm glad you enjoy it. And thank you so much for being on with us tonight. Thank you so much to everybody who's listened to us nerd out about Harry Potter uh, and talk about the crazy ramifications. I feel like we could sit here and talk for another 10 hours. Just <laughs> all of this, but it's getting kind of late. You guys probably all need to go to bed and get ready for the next day. So make sure you guys go like this video. Make sure you guys go follow Abby on Conspiracy Pilled. What are you guys talking about tomorrow, Abby? I believe, well, PJ's presenting, and I'm pretty sure we are talking about the Titanic. Ooh, you're definitely not talking about how the Weasleys are evil. Well, yeah, I mean, if he tries to bring it up, I'll I'll slap him down. So. Slap him down. There you go. So definitely go tune in to Conspiracy Pilled tomorrow to hear about the Titanic. That sounds awesome. And next week on Lit, Katie Zed is going to join me. And we're going to talk about this book called The Killer Across the Table. It's very mm. much going to be uh, more like Overruled in Crimeland meets Lit. It's going to be really interesting. That book scared me a lot. I'm not going to lie. But it'll be fun. So thank you so much for joining me and hope you guys tune in next week. Make sure you guys check out Harry Potter. It's pretty good. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for being on. Bye.